When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Hey guys, welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen. And if you listened last week, you know that we have a new fun intro. It's my favorite part of the podcast as of last week. And it is when Billy chooses his holiday. There's a lot of holidays on December 5th. It's repeal day, which is when we were able to drink legally. Thank God. What year? Like... 2020, 1920, 1929. It was 1989. 1989. Yeah. 1989. It's also, yeah. That was a joke. That's right. Yeah. It's also National Blue Jeans Day. Oh. But then there I hate that. National, national no, no, Commute no. with Your Baby Day commute. is a day for people who travel places with their babies. Oh, I thought it was National Communicate with Your Baby no. Day. Of course, we could tie that in with all of hot the hot car deaths. <laughs> I have to steal Billy's thunder. I can't. Oh, oh God. Do another one so I can steal it. Okay. <laughs> bathtub Party Day. Oh, who died in a bathtub? What was a murder that happened in a bathtub? Psycho. Shower. That was a shower. Somehow. But it was a bathtub. Anyways. Yeah. Do you know a, a true murder that happened in a bathtub? A murder that happened in a bathtub? I mean, listen, Elizabeth Short could have been all the time. Could have been uh, killed in a bathtub. People often say that she probably was killed in a bathtub. Who? So they, Black Dahlia. Oh, yeah. well, she had to be drained somewhere. Yep. Mm. All right. And it's also the last one is National Communicate with Your Kids Day. Oh, that's the one I was thinking of. So there's a commute with your baby and communicate with your kids. Yes, which is different. And communicating with your kids is, you know what you, how, how you communicate with your kids? You don't give them their own credit card, but you give them a debit card, and then they have to ask you for money whenever it goes low. That's how I communicate with my kids. That's so, really, that's my Yeah, thought. you know what? Yeah, wait till you have teenagers. Okay, so before this turns into a therapy <laughs> session, <laughs> let's move on. If you have not listened to last week's episode, stop this right now. We're going to jump in to the middle of a freaking crazy case. So you're not going to understand anything if you haven't listened to last week. So go put that on. We left you on a real cliffhanger last episode. So I'm going to let Alexis take it away and recap where we left off. In part one, where we left off, Scott Harper turned himself in after the incredibly horrific murder of his best friend, Thad Reynolds. There was a slew of evidence that implicated him pretty obviously. And this evidence, I think just the whispers of the fact that this evidence had been collected, all of this was closing in on him. And he just decided, you know, screw it. I'm going to just turn myself in. But what we haven't shared with you guys in part one is that police found a lot of evidence, not only implicating Scott Harper, but also someone else. We're going to go over some of that with you right now and the shock of all of this to everyone involved and how this affected the church community and how Drew reacted to all of this, you know, especially being 12 years old, you know, they're all very church going people and the things involved in this case were kind of the opposite of that. So let's talk about what other evidence the police found that implicated somebody other than Scott Harper. Cops are looking at a lot of circumstantial evidence here, and it certainly isn't enough to get a warrant to seize Scott's work computer to see what's going on. But they sifted through all the emails that were stored on the hospital server. 
and they found hundreds, if not thousands, of emails between Thad's wife, Michelle Reynolds, and Thad's best friend, Scott Harper. And these emails started out pretty innocently. It was a lot of back and forth about church activities. But then they started to progress, and they culminated into this very, very raunchy, heart-pounding, adulterous kind of shit. And another thing, in Scott's search history, he had searches for poisons, arsenic, how to commit the perfect murder, etc., etc., which is a huge red flag in this investigation. Right. So now they've got a motive because this is kind of like a reveal that Scott is, in fact, having an affair with his best friend's wife. So they have a motive for this potential murder. One question's been answered. What's the motive? But this answers produced another question, which is, is Michelle involved? You should hear what some of the emails between Scott and Michelle said. It seems like their murderous plan started just as sort of joking around the couple discussing, hey, let's put extra portions of butter in dad's food to make his arteries clog so he'd die sooner. <laughs> that is the most is how it starts. church. It's the most tr- PG. Ooh, thir- put an extra scoop of butter in his soup. <laughs> that is the most PG-13 shit I've ever heard. But that's how it starts. That's how it starts. Oh, I mean, because the, the, because they're it just testing takes- the waters. They're just yes, like seeing how we feel about it. Well, it's date. one person text- testing to another person. So it's one person putting it out there and then... If the other person, because you're mentioning somebody's death, yeah. so they'll die sooner. But it's a joke. The other, yes. But if the other person doesn't immediately say, don't do that, yeah. they know there's an opening. And this also, I'm assuming a lot of this is done via email and probably nothing is in person because when they see each other in person, it's probably just like a little look. But all the communication seems to be happening through email. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're really like slowly testing the waters and soon it starts becoming more and more intense. So their next little plan was to make two pots of spaghetti, one poisoned for Scott Harper's then wife Paige and Thad, and then another for themselves that wasn't poisoned. And the conversations continued about how they could be together without their spouses who they referred to as gnats, which I think is very rude. Do not call me a gnat. God. No. I think this is really interesting. Michelle started to kind of really manipulate him in that she would bring up things like, are you going to talk to Paige about leaving her? Things like that. And he would just not immediately say exactly what he wanted. And she would withdraw like completely. And it's like Drew said, sort of like she had this way sort of about about her. But she was really playing these like mind Mind games. games. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's like ga- uh, dating books like The Game and like um, The Art of Seduction. I don't know if listeners have read these. There's a lot of these sort of give a lot and then withdraw, give a lot, withdraw. It's like how you really evoke these emotional responses in people and, and learn how to control them. And there's an art to it. And it's a psycholo- it's psychological like warfare, kind of, mm-hmm. in, in the romantic sense. But she apparently was very good at this. And... Not only that, she was very careful of how she articulated her involvement in these plans over email, where she wasn't overtly saying, yes, kill Thad. She was speaking in metaphor. She was really like distancing herself very strategically. She's not a dumb woman from these plans. Mm -hmm. And she'd insinuate but not be super specific. Um, However, one email exchange between them that occurred the night before the murder happened contained the following. And Scott said something like, if you're having any hesitations or second thoughts, let me know. And she said, no hesitations. So we're dealing with some high stakes shit. And yeah. this probably was horrifying to the church congregants. <laughs> Holy shit. I'm sure that was the last thing they thought would be happening to them since they thought their plan was so cut and dry, even though he was a f-ing moron. Totally. They also found multiple hotel receipts and other evidence to corroborate the affair between Michelle and Scott. This guy is one of the worst perpetrators ever. He's, he's just, just so he's just dumb. leaving a trail for everyone to to watch and see. Right, and Jack actually discovered a little information about a hotel stay 
that. Mm. Why don't you shed some light on that? So I don't know how far in advance this was before the murder. It must have been pretty close because I feel like it es- their affair seemed to escalate. Like it right was before pretty the, close. The murder. It was within a few months. Yeah. So they were going on this church retreat. And I believe that the two wives were supposed to stay together because it was with all of the kids and stuff. But... They ended up staying in different rooms, and Scott actually booked a room for Michelle, which is Thad's wife, and it was just supposed to be her, and I guess in the middle of the night, Scott left his room that he had had like some boys staying out with him and spent the night in the room with Michelle while his wife and his daughter were on the same trip. Right, and I know we were text- we were side texting about this a little bit earlier, where Paige Harper, Scott's wife, at this time was like, "Why doesn't she want to stay with me?" Mm-hmm. And and this is the same time where she it was later revealed that she noticed that Michelle was being very distant. Yeah, she was pulling away. She like wouldn't look her in the eyes when she was trying to talk to her. And when Paige confronted Michelle about it, she her response to her was like, "No, I'm not upset with you. I just want to surround my people that are like devoting their life to God." And Paige was like, "We're all spending all of our time at the church. We're all doing this together. Like I'm not lesser involved in the church than you are. So it was a very bullshitty excuse. Not only that, Paige also said, you know, I've never felt closer to God. I don't know what you're Mm -hmm. talking about. But knowing what we know now, it's like she, how manipulative. Mm -hmm. And what a guilt and projecting, really. 100%. Like you are doing, you are betraying everyone you love and you are projecting some shit onto them like they're not close to God? Yeah. You're plotting a murder. You're plotting a murder. Ig. Exactly. On the same day, they arrested Michelle Reynolds for Thad's murder as well, and they got her while she was meeting with her attorney. So clearly the police thought that they had enough to prove that Michelle was in on this as well. When exactly did this thing between Michelle and Scott Harper start? So this adulterous relationship began because of their church relationship. And as we know, Thad, Scott, and Michelle all knew each other because of this they were all part of the same huge church family, which included Scott's wife, Paige. And my question is kind of like, don't you think at some point someone might have thought, hey, this is wrong, or maybe before the adultery, we should probably stop, or before the conspiracy, or maybe before the murder actually was committed. How do these good Baptists get to the point where not only was adultery acceptable, but murder was? Once they had kind of figured out and who it was and he had turned himself in, all of that came out very, very close together um, because there had to be some kind of reason. And so people were asking. Uh, and so by the time we had figured out who it was, it was already out why. Um, and so after I kind of shook off the disbelief, I'm asking questions, well, why would he ever do that? <laughs> You know why would why would that be a possibility? And she, and my mom told me, well, he was having an affair with Michelle, and they were going to do this so that they could collect the insurance money and run away together and all this. And so this thing is just spiraling into more and more and more just absolute disbelief. None of this makes any sense. None of these pieces fit together. You know, and none of none of this makes any sense at all. And it just seems to keep stacking and stacking and stacking and stacking. So even after the arrest, more evidence was being discovered. One of Scott's co-workers at the hospital found his blood-stained clothes under a floorboard in one of the IT rooms. Those IT guys. Those IT guys, they're like bloodhounds. Mm-hmm. They can sniff out <laughs> they really evidence Literally. like no other. But, I mean, I just can't really fathom how shocking this would be. For the people in this community who looked up to this youth pastor, Scott Harper, who looked up to this deacon, Thad Reynolds, and this kind of like first lady of of Baptist Baptist? First Lady of Baptism. <laughs> Michelle Reynolds. It's not Baptist, but yes, First Lady of Baptism. You know, though, it's just like I can't imagine being this group of kids who really idolize these three. Oh yeah. It's and looked at them as of. like aunt uncle figures, you know? And just to have all three of them wrapped up in something this like this, I I mean, nothing short of traumatizing, I think. Right.
Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries of state island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on the first degree. And when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV. And that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash first. Thrivemarket.com slash first. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. Head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. As these details are being slowly leaked, the church congregants, they were hearing all this, and, and like we've conveyed and anticipated, they are being baffled so that the honest actual church going church abiding bible kind of listening mm-hmm. people they're hearing that the people they idolize did all of this and they don't know what to think and i kind of asked drew like how did they reckon this i mean how did they explain this in this very tight-knit community where everyone was really close how did they come to terms with what had happened Something we talked about a lot was we knew, as crazy as it sounded, that if he had still been around to do it, uh, Thad would have forgiven Scotty immediately. And we really strongly, strongly, strongly felt that. And so we knew that we would be expected to do the same thing. The fact that a man who would have forgiven so immediately was murdered is really kind of heart-wrenching. Truly, a a phenomenal man was lost. I mean, Drew's perception is that this guy would have forgiven without question immediately. And he loved Michelle unconditionally. But I wonder, it's like, do you think that he would also have thought that Michelle would have acted the same way? Like, if the tables were turned and she was murdered, that she would have been like... You know what I mean? Because it's... You know, though, I don't think he cared. It's one of those things where I wonder, like, when he was looking at 
Scott right before the attack, if it all came together. Maybe. I remember sitting in church not very long after this happened, probably the next Sunday after this. And Fox and CBS and ABC trucks are parked in the parking lot. Um, and there's reporters standing outside. They wouldn't let them come inside, uh, but they were standing outside the parking lot. They were waiting on anybody that would talk to them to talk to them. Um, and I remember we're sitting in church, and I remember our preacher said, talk to them if you want to talk to them. Don't talk to them if you don't want to talk to them. Don't feel like you have to. Don't feel like you're not allowed to. Um, but understand that the only people who can help this group of people inside this building are the people inside this building. So whatever you put out there, Make sure that it's not something that's going to rip apart this group that we have here and this church family that we have here because right now we're all we've got. Um, and I remember that, and that was the first time that I really felt like we were being rejoined in together because this thing was so split because there were people who, you know, oh, Scotty this and that, oh, Michelle this and that, and that was the first time that I remember a very con- – concerted effort to rejoin everybody and say, no, we're not going to do that. That's not how it's going to be. We're a church family. We're going to stick through this thing together. The only way we're going to make it is with each other. So don't do anything that's going to rip this thing apart. I'm very curious. What would cause these about church-going individuals to engage in something like this? I didn't know, but Drew has a theory. How did you get to this point? How could this have possibly happened from where you guys were? Because both of these families, not Thad's and Michelle's are the ones that when people tell this story and it's all you know, documentaries and all this stuff, Thad and Michelle's marriage is the one that always gets the Ken and Barbie treat. Um, but it wasn't missing it by much in Scotty's marriage either. His wife was fantastic, and she still is. I, I talked to her uh I wouldn't say regularly, but occasionally I still talk to her. Um, and she is just phenomenal and, and was then, and their marriage was strong. And uh, they had adopted a couple of uh, foreign girls because they couldn't have kids of their own and, and all this. So it wasn't, it wasn't just that in Michelle's marriage. These were two textbook, beautiful marriages, beautiful families, great kids, um, strong relationships, and we never have gotten answers to what led to any of this. How does this happen? Like I said earlier, Michelle was a beautiful, beautiful lady, um, and Scotty was a big, strong, strapping, you know, impressive-looking guy. Um, And they spent just an inordinate amount of time together because their families were so close. The only thing that I could possibly think, and I I hate, 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 hate to speculate this because it's such a big deal. The only thing that I can possibly think, and it doesn't really make any sense because you, you can't see what his end game was outside of an absolute train wreck travesty. The only thing that I can think is that Scotty and his wife weren't able to have kids. They had tried and tried and tried and done every method and done every, you know, doctor visit and everything they could think to do, uh, and they couldn't have kids. They thought that it was a problem with her. She has since remarried and has shockingly discovered it was not her. (laughs) So that was a surprise. The only thing that I can think is he thought it was her, and he wanted to have kids. He wanted to have kids. And so there was this thought that we'll figure out a way out of this thing and we'll run away together. I think that's what it was. I think – and that's complete speculation. Uh, but I think that he wanted to have kids, and he thought that if he could string this affair along long enough, they would find an escape route, and they could get out, and they would have this life together, and that he would be able to have kids of his own. Let's talk about where Michelle and Scott were at this moment in the investigation in this story. So the two of them were in custody. Scott turned himself in. Michelle was arrested. And they had all this evidence not only supporting this affair between them, but supporting that they were conspiring to murder Thad together. So what was going on when they were behind bars? And 
what the hell else is going on? Because it's, how is everybody feeling? I mean, this is a crazy case. So both Michelle and Scott, they're facing five counts of murder, two counts of aggravated assault, one for aggravated assault with intent to murder, and one for aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, one count of aggravated battery, and one count of burglary in relation to the incident. Jeez. So both of them were in custody. When Michelle was taken into custody, she invoked her right to remain silent, and she did. Scott admitted to his role and started blabbing to the police immediately, but he refused to implicate Michelle. And from behind bars, they started writing to one another, talking about running away together if they could post bail. The prosecutor made a kind of bold decision. She decided that they would both be facing the death penalty. But despite both of them being behind bars, you'd think they'd kind of cool their jets because the death penalty is being on the table and everything. But Scott still wouldn't throw Michelle under the bus. His silence persisted for four years. And their trials kept being pushed back for one reason or another. She that, she has a way. She's one of the spinning vaginas or something. That's what I was going to say. She must have some magical vagina because that's like insane for four years. And they didn't have like real. They didn't see each other. No. Wild. I mean, they did. I think they had those secret trysts. Like they stayed in that hotel room at that. Um... No, I mean, when they're in jail. Oh, no. Yeah. It's like, God, I would have forgotten what somebody looked like after like two weeks. Completely. <laughs> Would have fallen in love with someone at the jail. Literally. Like either like a like, go- what's this a for? Neither of us are getting out of here. <laughs> Completely. Completely. So four long years, as Jack mentioned, later, Scotty Harper had a change of heart where he finally decided to talk. He finally accepts a plea, but on one condition. Death penalty off the table for both him and Michelle. And he had to confess to everything, and he had to agree to testify against Michelle uh, at her trial. That's the second condition. So no death penalty, and he has to testify against Michelle. He told the police during his detailed confession something I thought was really chilling. And he mentioned the moment where he walked inside Thad's office on the morning of the murder when he was determined to kill his best friend for his wife. And he walked in Thad's office at the Frito-Lay Distribution Center, and Thad looked up at him from his desk and innocently said, Scotty Harper, what are you doing here? Like, excited to see his best friend. It makes me sick. Because, you know, I mean, just based on what Drew has said, I can hear it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Just how how Drew sounds. It's like, Scotty, they call him Scotty. Scotty Harper, what are you doing here? Like, what a delight it's mm. it's 5 a.m would you pop by to visit me bring me some donuts or something uh, i have the chills thinking about it and scott looked at him in the eyes and said i want what you've got and what he also talked about before this was the moment he pulled up into the parking lot at the frito-lay distribution center and he looked at himself in the rearview mirror and had a moment of like what are you doing no but like couldn't stop but couldn't stop. Couldn't, oh, my God. Couldn't stop. Oh, look where that gets you, dude. You're going to rot in prison for the rest mm. of your life. Oh, it's terrible. Um, and you still didn't get what he got. So he still didn't get it. No. And, you know, think? I think the I mean, I feel like which episode was it? We talked about like kind of the Shakespearean, the revenge episode. Mm-hmm. This is another one where it's like this is proof of like. This is like would be a Bible story to teach you a lesson mm-hmm. um, in that like. Don't cover it, thy neighbor's wife. Don't cover mm-hmm. it, thy neighbor's wife. Don't commit adultery. Mm-hmm. Um, thou shall not murder. What is another one? I swear, if there's another Bible, like another testament in like 200 years, this will this story will live will in be it. in it. And this story has happened so many times, and it usually ends up the same with both people rotting in jail. Absolutely. But, you know, you, you just for me, as someone who's not religious, people who are religious and very devout, I, it's almost like they're on um, I hold them to a higher standard because I'm just kind of like, you must be a better person than me. Yeah. Because I have not like committed the time to learn the Bible or religion or anything like that. But this just proves that like it's. It's in your character. It's in your in your soul. Oh yeah, no. not the time you spend learning a book. 
We know that Scott flipped after four years and decided that he would talk, confess fully, and if needed, would testify against Michelle. But what happened to them? Scott Harper pled guilty to murder charges in October 2008. Michelle Reynolds eventually pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter and burglary in connection with the 2004 death of her husband, Thad. She was sentenced to 20 years in prison and have no contact with any of her children. And she will get credit for time served and has been in jail since July 2004. So she's been in jail for 14 years. That's crazy town. And she's almost out. Ooh, that's... Oh. Well, it's pretty It's pretty interesting, too, that one of the you know points of her of her sentence is to not have any contact with your children. Which, as a mother, you would assume is probably the worst thing yeah. that could possibly happen. And that had to have come, I mean, I don't want to speculate, but it had to have come from her children, though. Mm. Think about it. That's. Oof. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Yes, it is bad. And I feel like this would be confusing for anyone. It's confusing for us. And when I talked to Drew about how he felt at the culmination of this, he really expressed a need for answers. I immediately figured out how to reach out to the two of them um, in jail. Immediately figured out how to reach out to them in a letter, a phone call, whatever I could do. Um, and you couldn't call them, so a letter was all you had. Um, and I immediately, as soon as I figured out how to do it, probably two, three days after he turned himself in, I figured out how to write them letters. And I put two letters in the mail and sent them straight to them saying, you did what you did. I love you guys. I really do. I still love you. I'm always going to love you, but I need answers. And I need somebody to make this make sense to me because right now it doesn't. Um, and mom read through the letters before I sent them to make sure that I didn't say anything that needed to be said. But but she respected my wish to have some answers and because that was, that was it. Nobody could explain this to me besides them. Uh, they did respond to the letters. I was actually right before uh, this call. I was at my mom's house trying to dig through some boxes and find them because I still have them. Uh, I still got the letters that they wrote me back. And it was very interesting to see the responses that they gave me because Scotty's were very, very different than Michelle's. Um, Scotty's response to my letter was, I got tied up in this. I lost who I was. Everything that you saw uh, as far as my relationship with my relationship with God and my Christian walk and all this stuff, everything that you saw for me was real. That is real. It's not fake. It's not a put-on. It, it does exist, and it's something that you should continue to chase. Um, so don't think that that was fake just because I got tied up in this. I got tied up in this. Uh, I, it's nobody's fault but my own. I put myself in this situation. This escalated beyond my control. I made a horrible mistake. You know, over and over and over again, owning it, uh, not blaming anybody, nobody's fault. I did this to me, uh, and I don't want you to fall down the same path, and, and I don't want you to fall away from God, and I don't want you to do all this stuff. And that was kind of the message from him. Uh, and, and he put a Bible verse in there from a psalm, and so I went and I dug up the psalm, and I looked at it, and the psalm was something in the effect of, hey, I've, I've – I've made my mistakes, I've had my wrongdoings, I've sinned, um, and now I need God to save me. I need God to have mercy on me. I need God to save me. So Michelle sends me a letter back, and the letter from Michelle is, oh, my goodness, I'm, you know, they're saying that I've done all these terrible things. Don't believe what you hear about me. You know, nothing is as bad as it sounds right now. They're blowing everything way out of proportion. Um, you know, reserve your judgment of me until you get the whole story, and people are going to know that this isn't right and all this kind of stuff. And she put a Bible verse in there, and her Bible verse was, all these people are chasing me, and... I'm running for basically I'm I'm running for my life and trying to do everything I can uh, to keep my head above water and I need God to save me. And so it was very interesting how different those two perspectives were. Okay, so what Drew is saying is that Scotty 
in his darkest hours, even though he did this horrible thing, he was accountable. He, he admitted what he did, and he was still trying to teach through his mistakes. And Michelle was still denying. So she is a snake. She is the snake. What if? Yes, she would be considered the snake. And what is Scotty? I mean, Scott, Adam. He's Adam. I mean, oh no, well, he's Eve. No. Who, yeah, well, did the well, apple thing. Eve bit the apple because the snake... Tempted her. Tempted her. Um, we could get, get into Cain and Abel. We can get into all this stuff. Um, Let's not, though. Bottom line is they're both not, not good. It's not good. The bottom line is there's really no happily ever after for anyone, despite Michelle and Thad's initial fairy tale romance. Yeah, because both Scott Harper and Michelle Reynolds, they will spend the rest of their lives in prison... And one of the saddest parts of this is the Reynolds children will grow up without either parent. And meanwhile, this is the one ray of hope in this entire story because of what we've heard previously. Scott Harper's three daughters are living with their mother, Paige Harper. And remember, we heard that they wanted to, and whether it was a joke or not, but we, we learned that there was always a little bit of truth within these jokes that they wanted to potentially poison Paige Harper. Right, and uh, Drew's just sung her praises continuously, and just Paige is amazing. So at least they have her as a mother, but yeah, no, there's no, there's no happy ending here. And Paige really is one of the unsung heroes in this case. Paige is, I don't have enough good words to say about her because she is, she was the only person that still had semi-regular contact with him. Which is just uh, outrageous that she would, you know, after all this happens, not only is she still willing to be on his visitation list and speak to him uh, and allow him to see his kids or whatever. And I don't know, I, I don't want to speculate on that either because I don't know how much they've seen him or anything like that. There have been multiple times when I have been set up to go visit Scotty. I haven't seen him. I have not seen either one of them since that day. After the murder in uh, Thad and Michelle's house, I haven't seen them. Uh, I have been set up multiple times now to go see Scotty, and that's some of the stuff that I've got. I have I have it written down what I'm going to ask him when I finally get a chance to see him. Um, but every time I get ready to see him, it's happened twice now, and so I don't know that it's – I won't say that it's on purpose to duck me, Um uh, because I, I don't think that's what it is, but something always seems to happen where he gets in a little bit of trouble in jail and he's not allowed to have visitors right before I'm supposed to come there. And I've already done my paperwork and gotten put on his list and all this kind of stuff, um, and then something will happen right after that. So I don't know if you guys remember from part one. But Drew went over to the Reynolds' house the day after Thad's murder. And they were having this sort of gathering to comfort the Reynolds family, the daughters of Thad Reynolds and Michelle Reynolds and Michelle Reynolds, the now grieving widow. So Drew has some really interesting memories from that day that uh, seem much more significant now that he knows what he knows about Michelle and Scotty Harper, their affair and that they were involved in the murder of this incredible person, Thad Reynolds. And it had come out in the investigation at some point that uh, whoever had done this had fled the scene in a red minivan. And we're sitting up in the bedroom looking out the window, and we see Scotty pull up in a red minivan. And uh, the oldest daughter had left the room, and we're trying to make, you know, we're all so, just so distraught that we're trying to find something we can laugh at. And I remember that somebody said very, very sarcastically, "Uh oh, Scotty's got a red minivan," and we all kind, we all laughed it off. It was a sarcastic comment. We just, you know, that was so outlandish that nobody even paid any attention to it. And we went right back to what we were doing. Um, but that was the next time that we saw either of them, and the last time that we saw either of them was at their house that day, and they were both there. I have I have thought about that sentence where she put her hands on my shoulders and said, he loved you so much. You meant so much to him. I'm so glad you're here. 
I have thought about that very, very short amount of time for a lot, a lot, a lot of years now. Um, and that is the most chilling and disturbing exchange of my entire life. That alone is the only thing that I have personally that makes me question if anything I saw from her was real or if it was all a big game. And you want so, so badly to believe that she just got tied up in this thing too and, you know, it spiraled out of control faster than either one of them could control it and whatever. But for you to put your hands on me and tell me with a straight face how much this man loved me and he was proud of me and all this stuff, and you can look at me with a straight face knowing everything that you know, to this day it makes all the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. And if she had told me to run through a brick wall for her, I would have done it. And who's to say, I don't I don't know, but who's to say that if I hadn't been 10 years older, why couldn't it have been me? That, that exchange was the first time that I remember being able to look back in hindsight and say, oh, that's bad. That is, that is bad, 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 bad evil right there. I took French in high school, and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French. And it was only when I got there I realized just how rusty I'd gotten. And I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app, with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Aloe Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Aloe Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Aloe Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Aloe Moves. Go to Aloe Moves com and use code FIRST for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code FIRST, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code FIRST. So at the end of the conversation with Drew, I asked him a question. I asked him, he just sung Scott's praises constantly. And I said, can you be a fantastic person and kill your best friend? And he sung Michelle's praises and said he still keeps in touch with them. And I said, can you be a good mother and a good person and kill your husband? And he had some really interesting responses to this. That is something that I've been mulling for about 14 years now. Yeah. So can you be the same phenomenal mother and the same phenomenal wife and all this and still orchestrate all this to happen, this murder and this affair and all this to happen. And 
I'm never going to throw her under the bus by any means. I'm never going to say this was all her fault because she didn't show up there that morning and make this thing happen. But if you look through the things that we have learned uh, since all this happened, she was driving this thing. Scott had just made it happen because you just – you saw the life that this man lived and how he treated people and how he went about his business. And it wasn't an act because it, it wasn't something that he did on Sundays and then put it in the drawer and you didn't see it again until the next Sunday because if you go and you ask the people that he worked with at his job that was not related to the church, if you go and you ask people in the community that knew him that did not go to church with us, they all tell you the same thing. They'll all tell you, Scotty was a real deal. And yet here he is getting tied up in this affair and – murdering his best friend. And that's that's the thing. I'm so torn now because maybe it was true. Maybe she fell in love with him and they had this plan to run away and all this. Maybe she just wanted to offer us. I don't know. To this day, I don't know. Still, 14 years later, I don't know. But this is something that I've talked about too with a couple of the guys that I grew up with. Guys, who's to say it wasn't going to be us? If she couldn't get Scotty to do this, who's to say 10 years later it wasn't one of us that she tried to get it done? And so that immediate – and I wasn't the first person that said that. That thought was brought to me, and I at first I kind of brushed it off like, no, nah, you're insane. You don't know what you're talking about. And the more I thought about it, the more I said, no, that's very, very real, and that that'll get your chill bumps going. It brings up an incredibly interesting point. In that, and there might be some forgiveness and there might be some religion. I know, Alexis, you said that you're not religious, but if one of your friends killed someone, would you continue to write them and talk to them in prison? Well, Jack, for example, if you became unhinged one day Mm. and decided to kill someone, then express to me that you had a momentary lapse in sanity instant regret hmm. what have i done holy shit i'm sick like i did a horrible thing then absolutely right absolutely just like because the regret that a, a normal healthy person who had a, a detachment from reality enough to do something like this would feel would be just tremendous so it depends on the reaction to the the crime yeah and if you're owning up to it and if you feel remorse and if it like the consequences are like hitting you in a sense rather than like Michelle sitting in prison denying still denying it I would be like well absolutely this woman but at least Scott is feeling some sort of a remorse and probably regrets what he did totally and murder is just the ultimate crime and if you take a second to realize the magnitude of any murder anyone who can just have the cognizant ability to to measure how many people suffer as a result I mean the suffering would be immense for anyone with a with empathy. So, yes, depending on the reaction. Like I said, it's like that person would already be so miserable if they were remorseful that, like, I would try to be there. But, I mean, it would change the relationship forever. Yeah. It would change the relationship forever. It would. <laughs> it's a bold statement. <laughs> yeah. No, it is... Uh, as far as the conflict of emotions, it is something I battle to this day. It hasn't gone away. It's gotten better over the years, and you know, obviously, I don't, I don't cry my eyes out on a daily basis over it anymore. Um, but there is definitely a lasting effect of being very, very torn about how you feel about these people that you care about a lot. Um, and so, uh, as far as a forgiveness, as weird as it seems, that was almost instant for me. It was almost instant. I was fighting mad, beyond mad, at Scotty Harper. Absolutely distraught, angry at Scotty Harper. Furious. But I still love the guy. You really do. Um, and he was such an important part of your life that. You can't just throw that away, uh, even though he has taken this man from you and he has committed this terrible, terrible crime and and torn these two families apart uh, that you cared about also. 
but there's there's a certain bit of conflict there with your emotions. Uh, and Michelle was the same way. I, I I reached out to her the exact same time that I reached out to Scotty, and half of that was I need answers. I need you to tell me what's happening here. And the other half was I need to talk to you because I don't know. It has just always been this way, and now you're not here for me, and I don't know how to handle it. All right, so it would change everyone's relationship forever. So I asked Drew how this experience has changed him. I am very slow to trust people because as a kid, two of the three people that I trusted most on the planet almost quite literally stabbed me in the back. And I had someone very, very special taken away from me by two people who were not what I thought they were, not the people that I thought they were. It scars you, and it leaves you wondering when's the next time that somebody's going to come up and put their arms on you and tell you something is a complete lie. I'm also very aware of my decisions that I make and very aware of the situations that I put myself in because I saw a fantastic, great, all-time great, phenomenal man make a bad decision to start an affair with a woman that spiraled out of his control because of one bad decision that he made that led to 30 bad decisions that he made that led to the worst bad decision that he made. And now that great man is locked up for the rest of his life paying for a crime that he committed by no, by no fault of anyone except himself. So I'm very, very aware of my decisions and the situations that I put myself in because I'm terrified. I'm mortified that I'll make a bad decision that will get me locked into something that I can't get myself out of that will lead into something that I would never under any normal circumstance do. Many of us believe she was the one that was driving this thing. And you can't necessarily prove all that and the way that she orchestrated it and the wording that she used and the messages and the emails and the things that she knew could be held on to um, and all that, she was very, very careful about how she worded things. You know, she had this way about her of making her making you think things were your idea, and that's exactly – that is exactly why I brought it up when I did because it was the same thing with him. I had this dance that I didn't want to do in the youth group because I thought that was stupid. Uh, and she would tell me, no, you're going to get out there in front of all those people, and you're just going to crush it, and you're going to hammer this dance, and everybody's going to love it, and you're going to be right there in the middle of it, and everybody's going to think you're awesome. And when you're a 12-year-old boy, that is all you want. <laughs> and she had that way about her of making her think that this, this thing is your – no, this is what you want. And it wasn't. <laughs> this was not what I – I did not want to dance in front of all these people. No, they're going to love it. You know, it's going to be great. And she had that way about her, and that's exactly why I brought it up. And and I think that that's exactly how she was able to orchestrate it and make it happen. She made Scotty think this was his idea. And and not to take any blame away from him, because at the end of the day, he's still the one that parked the car in the parking lot that morning and got out and made this thing happen. So you can't take away any blame from him. But I, I'm very slow to not evenly place uh, responsibility for this. So, you guys, I think this is a very interesting episode because it mixes mortality with religion. Mm -hmm. And religion, obviously, there are many, and our beliefs vary. But I think the one common denominator in most religions is death is not, murder is not ideal. And murder is definitely not ideal. Murder is not ideal. That's the one common denominator in religion. I think so. That's pretty much a common denominator in humanity. Murder is not ideal. (laughs) I'm saying murder is not ideal. Use that as a tag. But I would like to say though, you know know what's funny is that when I hashtag murder is not ideal. No, when I when I not ideal. When I first went to. My my first week at Boston University, and I decided to become a religious studies major, I had started to learn about 
all of these different religions and I was and with Joseph Campbell and all this thing and I was like wow we can really boil Joseph down Campbell. every religion on into this sort of common denominator I never really you know the common denominator usually <laughs> did Joseph Campbell write chicken soup for the soul Joseph Campbell did not write chicken soup for the soul he wrote he wrote here with a thousand faces but we can who's the guy that chicken soup but, for the soul but, I swear to God it was him but they <laughs> the common denominator I whispered into the microphone who's Joseph Campbell yeah. and that's what Jack's response was chicken soup for the soul guy I'm like oh, I would follow him oh my god <laughs> I read chicken soup for the teenage soul. <laughs> the common denominator really comes down to the golden rule, which is do unto others <laughs> as you would have done Jack to you. But, field. Close but yes. Sorry, Sorry Billy. <laughs> of your monologue. Should I do it again? No, oh, just continue. I, like, I'm so brain dead. Go ahead. Okay. Jack puts to the, this podcast first. Jack puts the, po- the podcast first. Jack puts first this before, podcast before first. Before the TV show. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> Yes, the boiling every religion down into one essence usually came down to the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would like done to you. So uh, not the, what did you say? Murder is not cool. Not ideal. Murder is not ideal. I can see that potentially. What I would like to say, though, is that listening to Drew and hearing about Thad and hearing about uh, the church's reaction to this horrible tragedy this is kind of uh, how faith should look. And hearing about Paige's response and how she continues to really forgive and have compassion for people like her ex-husband, Scott Harper. I mean, I feel that people who are in pain commit crimes like this. So if you can rise above enough to realize that, you know, she has. And I think this just speaks volumes to the faith of this church and I mean, Drew, you were wonderful, and your attitude about this was uh, really inspiring. And as someone who was not baptized or ever went to church, it was one of the first times in my life that I... It sounded appealing. Just be, I, I mean that. Based on Drew's attitude and what he told me about Thad, like, he would have forgiven. Like, let's... And I was like, let's come together and let's not let this tear us apart. It was really inspiring. sweet. Yeah. It was really like strengthening and kind and compassionate and I feel like the world needs a little more of that. I mean, that's how religion should be at the end of the day. I feel like that was the point and sometimes it gets morphed into something it should not be. Absolutely. So So have you done any research into churches that you want to attend in the Southern California area? Um, I don't have time for that right now with my <laughs> heavy podcast schedule, but I will look into that in the future once we can afford a research assistant. She'll be a devout religious something. Okay. So you hear that, Jesus and Buddha and everyone else that's out there. Once we can afford a research assistant, you have her. I work all weekend on this, so I don't know what kind of time you think I've got. <laughs> Okay. I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyways. <laughs> this episode came from a listener that had DM'd Alexis. I was flattered. On the Instagrams. Why did you not DM me? I'm kind of offended. You don't read yours. Yes, I do. I actually read every one of my DMs. You do? Mm-hmm. Do you block most of them after? Just in case somebody important DMs me, I have to make sure that I'm not missing anything. Right. Well, so few people DM me that it's sure to be seen if That's you DM sure. me. Yeah. <laughs> If you really want to make sure it's seen, DM Alexis. If you want an off chance of me maybe reading it, you can DM me. Um, so, yeah, if you guys have or are connected to a murder or a crazy crime or a stranger than fiction story and you want to have your story told, please write us. You can email us at hello at the first degree podcast.com or, like I said, DM any of us. You can DM B- Billy if you want. And because some of the Billy fans hate me and Alexis. So. Billy Jensen deserves better than this. <laughs> Go f- yourself. <laughs> Go f- yourself, random iTunes man. He only just shows up. I deserve better. <laughs> <laughs> you really do deserve better, Alexis. You do deserve better, Alexis. And I'm sorry. And Then you bring better snacks. I will bring better snacks next time. And you're actually doing good. You're taking notes. I'm proud of you. I did a little research today. Billy, you could step up your snack game because me and Jack bought snacks today and that's your job. All right. Yeah. Is it my Billy's job? really not pulling right. any weight in this podcast. You know what? You know what? The last two times I brought snacks, you went off on my uh, uh, Twinkies. 
And then you went off on my Kinder Eggs. Which I feel I like you're you. trying to kill us. I know you're trying to poison us with a bunch of butter. Trying, with, really? You're trying to clog our arteries or yeah, something. That's how it starts. Or make us fat. Also, just so we have faces and, and bodies for radio. Yeah, I already do. Screw you. All right, so we're gonna have some pasta next week. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Okay. <laughs> We're going to sign off, and I'm going to sign off with keep your friends close, but not that close. Booyah! And I'm going to sign off with over <laughs> and out. Do you want to sign off, Billy? And happy national commute with your baby dad. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.